The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. Welcome back to the show, everybody. There is an incredible new docu-series starting Sunday on the A&E Network about America's most notorious serial killers, including Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Green River Killer, and BTK, who all operated within the same period across two decades. Stephanie Sotig has produced this series, Invisible Monsters, and we learn more about how they were able to do what they did over such a long period of time. I've got her on the line right now. Hi, Jim. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome. And and boy, you, you sure have a fascinating series here because you're talking about arguably the most well-known serial killers in history and all kind of right around the same era, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, they operate sort of over this three decade period of time. And so we, you know, look at their stories chronologically in the series and it's just, it's so riveting, um, you know, to see this perfect storm of circumstances that was happening at the time that allowed these guys to proliferate. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but because I remember them all, but forensics, technology, DNA, we've come such a long way since then, haven't we? Yeah, I think we really take for granted, right? Like if you, you know, you look back, like there was no DNA, there was no, um, there weren't even digital cameras. So when you think of a crime scene, they were being told like, well, don't waste the film or the bulb, like just take a few pictures. So they weren't even taking tons of pictures of these crime scenes. There was no missing persons database. Um, districts didn't speak to one another. So, you know, when you look at John Wayne Gacy, for example, three of his employees went missing and nobody connected the dots, right? Today, you would do that in a heartbeat, but because one was from District 6, one was from District 7, one was from District 8, unless those guys were sitting in a bar in Chicago, nobody would have said, oh, I have this missing kid. He happens to work for this contractor. So they just, they didn't have the technology that we have today which actually, you know, I think speaks a lot to just how brilliant law enforcement was that they were able to capture as many of these yeah. men as they did, right? For using dental records in the case of John Wayne Gacy to be able to identify these boys. And so they'd have to, like, have a set of dental records and then physically go through cards of missing boys reports or missing persons, you know, reports, physical copies to try to pair these together. And they did. I mean, at the end of the day, they were able to identify almost 33 of his victims. So it's, it's a real feat. Um, but I think it's really interesting to ground yourself in that era and just all the little things that we don't think about, like the idea that there wasn't 24 hour news. So, you know, if you were in Seattle for Ted Bundy, like you didn't know what was happening in Chicago. Like that, that just, didn't didn't occur to anybody. So it really was a, a perfect storm. Stephanie, I was also going to say that it occurs to me that we, I, I don't think that we really had much in the way of cameras on every street corner either, for that matter. Definitely not. We didn't have that, those type of, that type of surveillance at the time. We also, you know, it was a more innocent time. So we didn't hear about this type of stuff as often. And people, I don't think, could wrap their head around the idea that these types of people existed. Or if they did exist, you could spot them, right? That We call it invisible monsters because they were hiding in plain sight. And, you know, 
in the 70s and, and, and arguably maybe the early 80s, people thought you looked like Charles Manson if you were a killer. You yeah. know, like you could spot these people. You didn't look like Ted Bundy. You didn't sit next to me in church like BTK. Like that just didn't exist. In people's minds, it was just an innocent time. They all seemed like normal guys, like you say, and they were they were flying under the law enforcement radar as well, right? I mean, they didn't have any previous, I, I don't think, arrests. No, and, and in fact, you know, law enforcement, I think, was just as, as under the spell of them not looking like a suspect. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer, after his first kill, he was going to dispose of the body. He had it in his trunk, and cops pulled him over. Um, for like a taillight or something, and they let him go, you know? So because huh. this, this, he does not look like the type of person that would do such a thing. You know, we all we all know Ted Bundy, you know, charmed his way out of every situation. Um, but, you know, it's just fascinating that even law enforcement, you know, just hadn't caught up yet to this idea that people could blend in like this and do horrific things. Did these five have anything in common as to what may have driven them to kill people? You know, we explore their all of their like early childhoods and and their and their first yeah. kills, and it was there's not like one specific smoking gun. I think what really connects them is more the era and you know the what was going on in terms of law enforcement and media and culture at the time. That's really more what ties them together. Um, I mean. You know, none of them had perfect childhoods, but, you know, none of them had particularly like the worst childhoods either. I mean, and not to, you know, minimize, John Gacy certainly was physically abused by his father. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't the type of childhood where you would say, oh, well, who wouldn't snap, right? One of these guys. So yeah. it was really mostly, I think, the 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 culture and the forensics that really connects them more than anything. By the way, our morning show, this was quite a few years ago, but we interviewed a UNLV student who actually got in touch with us because we were talking about Gacy that morning, and he had corresponded with Gacy because he was an art student and sent him some of his things. Gacy was into, you know, painting and stuff, and Gacy invited him to come visit him in jail <laughs> And that and oh. the and the kids said, Nah, I don't think so. I think this is as far as this goes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So it's so creepy. It's all so creepy. Yeah. Well, so did, has the policy changed? You mentioned earlier about agencies getting in touch oh, yeah. with each other. So th that's just policy where we better check with with these other uh, districts you know what's interesting is these these men were the impetus i think for a lot of our technological advances so when you you know missing persons being reported you know within 24 hours as a result of the john wayne gacy case um ted bundy is, you know spawned the vicat program so that people are now when there's a crime committed it's entered into you know a federal database so that people can access it and better connect the dots so you know, if it weren't for these men, you know, it's one could question how long it would have taken us to come up with this type of technology. But they definitely were the impetus for these this this type of 
you know, ability to connect the dots. Social media, it's not good for a lot of things, but it, it sure is good for, you know, putting the word out on people like this, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, who was drugging people in bathhouses, if that was on social media, that, right, that would have gotten out to the community a lot quicker than it did. Um, and they would have been able to spread the word. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of our profilers were like, these men never would have gotten away with it today with the technological advances that we have today. Um, so that's comforting somewhat. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was uh, looking, doing some research on these five, I was seeing other lists like the top 10 female serial killers. Boy, there. when you look into that, you talk about a rabbit hole. There are some right? very prolific female serial killers, and for everyone who says, how come it's always guys? Well, it wasn't. Look into the, the top ten list. It's really terrifying. Yeah, I think you've got a good show idea there, too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Aileen, Aileen Warnos is probably the the least terrifying of this group that I looked at. There were some that were killing hundreds of people. Yeah, it's again, and I think it's this idea, right? Again, you know, we call it invisible monsters because you didn't see them, right? You wouldn't have seen them. And I think yeah. that that's the case when you look at these women, same thing, right? You wouldn't imagine that a woman would be capable of doing these things. It's really fascinating, and I, and I can't wait for everybody to see this because it's just, it's riveting. It's just absolutely riveting when you put all the pieces together. Stephanie Sotig's Invisible Monsters, it's coming to A&E on August 15th. And, boy, I can't wait to see it. I, I've seen the trailers. It looks fascinating. It was great talking to you, Stephanie. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I thought it was really interesting what Stephanie said about how, because of these killers, it moved things forward in the way law enforcement tracks these guys down now and how much better they communicate with each other to make that happen. Well, that does it for this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.